0: And, of course, that's what we're getting into on this this whole border thing is that a lot of these girls, tra- these women who are trafficked are coming through with the groups of immigrants. Uh-huh. And so they may present themselves as their guardian or parent, but they're not their guardian. Right. They're the they're the whatever, coyote oh. or whatever, you, <laughs> the mule or whatever yeah. who's bringing the women over to the trafficker in the United States and collecting the money and going back home. And so that's going on way more than you realize. There were... a two mexican national women who were rescued out at higginsville in a in a motel and uh-huh. they came to us and we kept them for a year we had to have a homeland security interpreter to to translate eventually the women got to realize the phone would work just as good and they stayed with us for a little over a year and were well. eventually allowed to stay with an aunt in the in the united states and oh, the, wow. they weren't forced to go home and so we were glad we could help them but you know we're seeing uh, the 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 minority of tra- trafficking victims in the United States are not international. Uh-huh. You know, you think of the the girl from Bulgaria or Russia or Thailand who was abducted in a van sure. and then brought to the United States. That's not the typical. That's like one or two percent. Okay. The biggest percentage, ninety some percent, is American. Um, you know, girls who have aged out of the foster system, who are effectively homeless, who don't have any resources and this ends up a way that they're, you know, we, call, we call trafficking the exploitation of vulnerability.
1: This afternoon, I got to sit down with my friend Greg Bowl, and it was super fun to get to sit down with him. He was a guy I knew well, but it was really fun to hear about all the stuff that God's been doing in his life and basically saving him in the midst of cancer scares and other things and really a vibrant new ministry that's meaning a lot of difference to a lot of women and so if you like this episode i definitely suggest that you subscribe rate and review it's not going to cost you a penny but i'm really trying to get these stories you know of the revitalization of people and watching them trust god and see what happens in their lives it's a lot of fun, and it was super fun with Greg Boll, who was, in case you don't know, he was the pastor of the first Baptist church in Crane, and he was there for a long years and and was there over many tremendous growth in that term. And so hear about him and hear what he's doing, and let's let's go talk to him now. This is way too much of me.
0: Let me make sure this is all well, off. it's all good, man. No, that's not off. Put <laughs> that off. Let's turn it off. Yeah. It's great to see you, Greg Bowl. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about what you've got going on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, had an
1: incredible adventure.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I was here 14 and a half years. Uh-huh. In fact, let's lived up the hill here. about ten of 10 of those. Yeah and uh so crane first baptist is where i kind of got to know all you folks exactly so i left a lot of myself here it's always hard to leave a place you know people say you know how could you leave well there's never a good time really so i thought maybe we'd talk a little about you know that was a big decision because i was i loved it here everything was fine we just built a sanctuary And, um, you know, there's always somebody that's just found out they have some illness. There's somebody that's just joined the church. It
1: just always changes.
0: You know, and there's never a good time to leave a church. Right. So um, this opportunity was presented to me, and I thought, well, to be fair to God, I ought to put a resume in, and I did. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I could just see that it was happening. Uh And uh, so... And where was this? This was... um, Uh, Blue River, Kansas City Baptist Association. Okay. It is an association that serves all of the Southern Baptist churches in Jackson and Cass County. Uh About 145 churches. Uh huh. And I was interviewing for the associate um, uh, missionary position there to be be under the executive uh, DOM, who was Dr. Rodney Hammer. Uh And, um, Anyway, you know, you you wrestle with that and you pray about it. And really, as I prayed about it, what it came down to is, you know, three things: is is God releasing me from this ministry at Crane? Uh-huh. Um, is is this a equal or a greater kingdom opportunity to serve the kingdom and God? Uh-huh. And third, is it a good move for your your marriage and your family? And all right. three of those came back yes. And of course, on their end, they affirmed they wanted me as a guy. And and so the rest is history. And I've been a I've been there, Associate Director of Missions, uh, since um, February 2013. Okay. I left here. I basically resigned here in uh, December 2012. So okay. that was a hard decision, but I, I can see God's hand on that now. And there's probably a lot of reasons that I'll find out about, uh, in, in you know, by it's and hurt. by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's been good, and and you know, um, God put me with a really visionary, amazing leader in Dr. Really? Hammer yeah and it's so so it's been exciting um i I never knew what i was getting in i thought i was just going to go and be a pastor to pastors Uh and help some churches it's it's become a lot more than that because rodney has such a huge vision you know we he was uh, he had this idea why don't we start uh an international church planning center so when all the immigrants come in and they they normally move in that area along you know, uh, uh, northeast part of the the old part of town where the rent's affordable to them. Um, And so Independence Avenue and so forth. And so we had a church down there and and, uh, he and... the Missouri Baptist Convention and the North American Mission Board put the money down and got this church purchased. It was an old Presbyterian church. It had about 12 members left. And oh, wow. It needed a lot of work, and it was right in the area we needed, but we turned that into kind of an incubation center to start sure. new churches among mm-hmm. unreached people groups that were moving into the city.
1: Right. And, and what were
0: those groups? Well, Corinne, um, you okay. know, area from around Tibet. um, Uh, the greater tibet area yeah the greater (laughs) tibet area there's there's been two different african churches um come out of that and Uh um, and so you know they don't have money but but a lot of you know they have a pastor and they start reaching their own and and so they need a place so the hispanic church is kind of the host church Uh and uh, they've spun off two other hispanic churches Uh, that are now out on their own. And then they allow their building to be used by these other immigrant groups. And so the Korean, they they met there, and they outgrew the Hispanic church, and they moved out, found their own place once they got big enough. And then there was a a mostly Burundi-speaking group, and they they got together, and they just became the— African Baptist Church, and they moved out, and they're sharing a building now with someone else. It's amazing yeah. just
1: to see how, even in this day and age, mm-hmm. and even with all the bad stuff, right? People still flock to this country.
0: Absolutely, you know, it's the place to go. Everybody yeah. wants to be here. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, the same um, we, um, you know, we call it a church planning center, but it also has become uh, an immigrant international welcome center where when they move in they can come there and they can kind of you know learn what resources they need and where sure. to go for help and how to find an apartment and english as a second language all those kind of things and they hear the they hear the gospel in that and they they find out there's people who care about them and who are right. glad they're here um uh, you know so it's it's been really neat that that's kind of one thing and then we begin to become aware that um um human and sexual trafficking was a huge problem. Oh
1: yeah. And Tell we me about that. we
0: didn't even know the half of it. It's I guess it's a, you know, multiple billion dollar industry that's uh-huh. about to overtake drugs as the number one cash crime. Wow. Worldwide. And uh, the numbers are staggering and the numbers in Kansas City are pretty amazing too. And so that's how yeah. you got
1: involved in that ministry.
0: So we got involved in that. Dr. Hammer began, you know, we begin to go down to a meeting that um was being held in the courthouse down in Kansas City and uh-huh. uh, the, uh, uh, I guess the uh, attorney general for the area, I'm not sure what her title yeah. was, um, mm-hmm. but she uh, she was there at, at the courthouse and she began to hold these kind of informational meetings uh-huh. for not-for-profits and so forth and people who were interested and to kind of educate ourselves and figure out who was doing what so we could collaborate and coordinate sure. a little bit. And what we found as we went to those meetings time after time was, we would keep asking the question, but is anyone doing any long-term restorative care home uh, for these women once they're rescued? And no really? one was fitting filling that need. Really, you know, there was drug and alcohol, um, you know, counseling, and there was some legal aid, and there sure. was like overnight services and and things like that. But but no one was providing what they really needed was a long-term place to stay and heal, sure. mm-hmm. so they could break that cycle uh, and get out of that life.
1: And so, how did you get started in that? So,
0: so we just began to pray about it. Of course, Doctor Hammer, he uh, he believed that uh, we could start that home. With You're our, a big
1: fan of Doctor. I am. He's he is a visionary. He
0: um uh, he uh you know he had this vision, and and we started talking to people and planning and so forth. And you know we have 140 churches. Uh, the next thing you know, uh, two farmers who owned uh, two farmhouses out in rural Cass County said. Okay. Uh, you know, I rent these two houses, I just remodeled them, but I would be willing to let you guys just use them for free. Oh, wow. You know, that was huge. They didn't deed them to us, but they just right. said, you can use them. And so sure. the Seba Brothers Farms, they said, uh, you can just you can just use these homes. And then this is kind of where Crane is attached. This is okay. kind of the cool part of yeah. the story. Um, while we were praying and pondering how we might get this thing up and going, you know in any organization, you have to have a big lead gift to get going. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay? and we didn't have that big lead gift as many people as we talked to we didn't find it and uh, Roy Utsler called me one day and his wife Beverly had just passed away and he said Greg uh, uh, Beverly and I one of the last things we did together was to restore a 67 Corvette and he said it was just a special time for us it was a time of bonding and everything went really well and he said. Then she passed away, and he said, "I'm going to sell that." And he uh-huh. said, "I want to give that to some kind of ministry. Do oh, you yeah. ha- do you have any recommendations?" <laughs> well, no, I sure did. I didn't want to steer him too much, so I said, "Well, there's you know lives under construction. Uh-huh. You know, there's Missouri Baptist Children's Home. You, sure. could, you could give it to the building fund. You could give it to Camp Barnabas over there. You know,
1: uh-huh. west
0: of Monette. Um And uh, and I said, "And then we're praying and trying to get a home." Uh, For women rescued from trafficking started, so we we could use it too. So whatever the Lord leads you to do, He called me back in about three weeks, and He Uh said, "Lord, just laying on my heart, we'd like to, I'd like to give it to you." Wow! So we had our lead gift, and it was huge, and it was amazing, and uh, of course Rick and Darla Stump were in on that too, you know, and um, so we were off and running. We were able to hire our first director. Uh, to get it going and and immediately the women begin to pour in and then as we were taking care of women then the And then the the gifts start coming, you know people realize you're doing this and and those hundred and forty churches kicked in we had plenty of volunteers we had people to drive them here and there and you know, they have to go to counseling and oh, court, yeah. court appearances and and uh, you know get their children back you know a lot lot of them have children and they've been taken away and so a lot of them have been reunited with their children Mm -hmm. a lot of them have you know found jobs and got out of that life and what most people don't realize is no woman chooses that lifestyle no woman no woman wants that kind of life or or desires that that's it's it's survival it's what it is
1: what do you find in the stories about what happens to bring them there
0: uh, usually um broken home um a girl who's aged out of foster care. Uh-huh. Uh nobody's, you know, looking out for her at that point. Uh, we've even had stories of of uh, traffickers trying to get a hold of the uh, the DFS rosters to see who's aging really? out. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't, wow. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's happening. But for whatever reason, the the people who are in the know say that once a a girl is out on the street or she's effectively homeless, maybe living from friend's couch to friend's couch, Uh that within 48 hours, she's going to be approached by a trafficker. Really? And the most typical typical way that probably that a girl is reached is through social media though on her phone. Really? Right, everyone has a phone. Yes. And uh, and so and so you turned off the Right. right. So you so you have a young girl who has grown up in a broken home. Maybe father's not been around, mom's not been around, she's looking for love in all the wrong places. She's on and some guy presents himself as an eighteen or a twenty year old guy, we call him a Romeo pimp. Yes an online Romeo pimp. He 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 gets on there and he tells her everything she wants to hear and he over a period of time gains her trust and eventually meets her and it may even seem innocent at first he may say I want to take you to a party and then eventually there's this kind of a breaking process where you know she's raped multiple times or she's wow. put into subjection to where she is afraid to leave we've heard sure. we've heard every kind of story like you know, if you tell anyone, you know, kill, a, you know, one day buy her a puppy, the next day kill it in front of her oh, and say, this wow. is what will happen to anybody you love if you ever tell. There are girls that are from, that are from families who sneak out at night and do it and they're, they're held hostage by the fact that they have some kind of a compromising picture on social media. That's not as often. It's usually a girl that nobody's looking for. Sure. And if they get, somebody said, do they ever come after, are you in danger at your home? And we're like, no, not generally because there's so many you know, if, if they lose one to a sting or a bust or something, they just can go get some more.
1: And they're probably really afraid of guys like you, would be my thought.
0: Well, I don't know, afraid, but uh, they just don't need to expose themselves. In fact, yeah. that's why this is becoming a more popular crime over drug sales, because with drugs, you expose yourself twice. On the buying end, you're exposing uh-huh. yourself right. to the law enforcement. And then on the selling end you're exposing yourself but with trafficking once you get the girls you can just keep using that's a kind of a for them a reusable resource yeah until they wear them you know they just they either die or they become ineffective or whatever and you know i think 22 23 is about the average age that they pretty much you know she's she's done she's done and they're going for younger in fact the the average age that girls get caught up in this has moved from 14, 15 to 12, 13 years wow. old when they first get involved in this. That's how sick this industry is. So yeah. so anyway, we had these two farmhouses, and we had our lead gift, and the women started coming. and uh, So it's been an amazing process to watch that. Wow. And we've had some real success stories. And, and uh, now we've uh, been able to open a home for minor trafficking victims. Since it is 12 to 13, we realized there's a big, this was for adults, we realized there's a big segment of, that population we were not reaching and so sure. maybe you've heard of missouri baptist children's home but they no. had they had an empty house uh, there in the area and they said if you want to use that you can we will work with you we will staff it because the hard thing when you're working with minors is having all the permitting you need with the state sure. uh, mm-hmm. to be a place where children are placed and we didn't have any of that permitting and it was like a year-long process and and they already had all of that and so they said, you know, we can fly our, our umbrella. If you can raise the money and fix the home up, we will wow. we have the staff and we have the permits to, you know, the the girls can get placed in this home. And so wow. uh, we opened that home probably two, three months ago, and there's already three minors trafficking victims in that. Wow,
1: and probably more need than you could ever fill.
0: There is more need. I mean, we... I think we have a waiting list of like 64 people. What we're realizing is we're going to become the St. Jude's of anti-trafficking yeah. uh, because people find out about you and you're one of, the, one of the few long-term restorative care homes. You get these calls from Minnesota and California and Las Vegas and New York. And so we've got this huge waiting list. And so that's why we're in the process. We just called a, a, and hired a new president. And he has a vision to by the end of next year to be able to take care of 40 women and we we'll fill that up quickly yeah uh, but you know we're in the process of building and we were given a new uh church disbanded out in the country and it has a lot of space it has a gymnasium oh, wow. it has a house that was really nice but we've we've uh, remodeled that and so we're starting to get the county permits to to be able to expand to meet the need for 40. Sure. and then we can maybe move from just the kansas city metro out to anywhere in the United States.
1: Do you see this as something you're gonna stay involved in?
0: I think we will because it started with Blue River Kansas City Baptist well, Association. I know
1: that but I mean but you are you getting-
0: I believe I will. I'm I'm vice chairman of the board and um, I'd like to see it through and make sure it stays you know, true to its mission and founding and uh, stays a faith-based. Now, people get confused when we say faith-based. Somebody said, so every girl that you take has to be a Christian. We said, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. That's exactly. not what we mean at all. Yeah. Uh, these women are deeply wounded and deeply psychologically wounded and uh, experiencing PTSD and all kinds of, some of them come with gender confusion, all kinds sure. of things. And Now, we take any woman, regardless of where she is or what she's experienced, uh-huh. We don't ask any questions about her faith. When we say faith-based, all we mean is, is we're going to bring a holistic sure. uh, plan of caring to her, which includes faith, which includes uh-huh. an opportunity to hear the gospel right. and, and, uh, and have a relationship with the Lord. We don't push that. It's, it's, it's voluntary, but we certainly do offer it.
1: Well, and how are you finding that that, is, that, that service, you know, that pot is held in this regard?
0: in terms of i'm not clear well I'm,
1: just like are the women receiving the faith
0: oh absolutely they they have responded and and uh the testimony of many of these women is this is the first time i've ever experienced unconditional love in my life really you know somebody who just loves me for me and not for what they can yeah. get from me and that's what you have to be very careful of even in how you set up the rules and so forth these women have been subjected they have been you know humiliated and controlled sure. their whole life for the most mm-hmm. part and you come in and you establish well these are the rules we need to see your phone and blah 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 it's you have to be careful even how you enforce the rules so they don't feel like they're moving from one master to right. another one exactly. you know one controller to yeah. another although our control is for her good and her right. healing she may not see it that way you in, the, in the beginning
1: see how she would
0: she would be mistrustful yes, of anybody definitely. wanting to tell her what to do. And so exactly. it's a fine line we walk with helping them become not dependent or independent, but interdependent right. is where we want them. And um, so, but we have seen women grow up and people do respond to unconditional love right. and they just bloom and they blossom. And, you know, I remember one girl came and her, her motto was no dudes. My mother, she was done with, she was done with men. <laughs> and and over the course of time of interacting with good men uh-huh. of men who just loved her for her and right. didn't want anything from her just we were, what, were there for her yeah. right <laughs> she over time then she it was interesting we began to see her develop you know an interest again in a healthy relationship with sure her. Mm-hmm. and uh, so that you know we've seen a lot of success stories one you know we do have some you know, runaways because uh-huh. they don't always take. They, they feel oh, like yeah. you're controlling them. And so some of them, you know, or they, they have that itch to get back on drugs or alcohol or something. Sure. And some of them will run away. But it seems like two or three of those who have run away will call back and say, can I come back? I realize right. now how good I had it. I realize you were the only people that have ever loved me right. for who I am and so we've let them come back. Um, so it, it's just a phenomenal ministry and it's sad that we have to do it and even talk about the subject, but, yeah. uh, but we discovered it and we couldn't ignore it and it's a huge problem in Kansas City, it's a huge problem in little towns. Yeah, people definitely. don't even realize it's in, probably in places you know, in this area uh, to some degree, especially, yeah, yeah. especially Branson, anywhere mm-hmm. there's a big venue, anywhere there's a, a big event center or big events going on. What
1: uh, can people look for?
0: um you know you, you know you would want to watch traffic in and out of homes you'd you'd want to watch uh, teens that didn't seem to have any parental uh, supervision you would know of course as a parent you want to watch your kids social media right uh, you want to know what they're on there's so many apps that these traffickers they are smart you know tech savvy people and they know how to use that stuff and every time we shut something down like Backpage, which was being (laughs) used online so you could order a woman like you order a pizza they'll there's another one pops up so Uh you know you have to be you have to kind of as a parent be a student of what are these social media apps that your kids have and you need to know you know like we say don't let your kid use his computer or phone in his room at night after he goes to bed, make oh. sure that's out in a public area. Uh, you don't want them back there because you don't know who's contacting them. Sure. And the stats of how many youth are contacted by someone they don't know is very scary. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's it's uh, several several kids are going to be contacted. Somebody's going to pop up they don't know, and they may look innocent to the kid, but you would know otherwise. Right. So. Uh, You would look for, you know, uh, we're trying to educate people like ER nurses to recognize it. In fact, uh, we've talked to the, what they call the sexual assault nurses at Children's Mercy in Kansas City. And what she told us was, is that, uh, you know, a few years ago, they would just see all these uh, cases of kids coming through the ER that look like just general sexual assault in a domestic setting. Right. But she said after time we got educated about what trafficking looks like, we realized the ones that were trafficking sexual assault as opposed to those that were just domestic family sexual assault. Uh-huh. And we were able to kind of pull those out of the population and give them special care. But it took them even a while to recognize the difference. Right. Okay, so we're trying to educate you know, people like that. We're trying to educate hotel and motel owners because it's happening right under their nose. In fact, sure. sometimes it's happening with their blessings. Yeah. and they're getting a cut but we hope most of the time it's just happening uh and they're ignorant about it or they they might seem a little fishy to them or uh, we're trying to educate them you know of the kind of questions they can ask uh like if a guy came in with a girl a young girl and she seemed uncomfortable there's a there's a way to intervene in that right uh there's numbers to call there's questions you can ask that young girl yeah. that would you know, is she safe? You know, uh, are these your parents? Those kind of things. Uh, right. uh, you know, if you if you suspect something, you should you should call somebody. You right. can always figure it out later. And of course, that's what we're getting into on this this whole border thing is that a lot of these girls, tra- these women who are trafficked, are coming through with the groups of immigrants. Uh-huh. And so they may present themselves as their guardian or parent, but they're not their guardian. Right. They're, the, they're the whatever, coyote oh. or whatever, you, the mule or whatever, yeah. who's bringing the women over to the trafficker in the United States and collecting the money and going back home. And so that's going on way more than you realize. There were uh, two Mexican national women who were rescued out at Higginsville in a, in a motel, uh-huh. and they came to us. And we kept them for a year. We had to have a Homeland Security interpreter to to translate. Eventually, the women got to realize the phone would work just as good, and they stayed with us for a little over a year, and were well, eventually allowed to stay with an aunt in the in the United States, and not wow. they weren't forced to go home. And so we were glad we could help them. But you know, we're seeing that the 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 minority of tra- trafficking victims in the United States are not international. You know, you think of the, the girl from Bulgaria or Russia or Thailand who was abducted in a van sure. and then brought to the United States. That's not the typical. That's like one or two okay. percent. The biggest percentage, 90-some percent, is American uh, you know, girls who have aged out of the foster system who are effectively homeless, who don't have any resources, and this ends up a way that they're—we you know, call, we call trafficking the exploitation of vulnerability. Okay, okay. Um, so anyway, that's that's really what trafficking is. They find these women who don't have any resources, any help, any family, and, and then they exploit that, that vulnerability. Well, yeah. uh,
1: and I guess you're seeing that it's even bigger than you even thought.
0: It is. Yeah, it is. It's sad. So, anyway.
1: And it all ties back to this community and what started here. And right. Do you have any idea about how this stuff was... Affecting the larger world?
0: You know, it's interesting. I look back through my sermon file, and in 2005, uh, we always, in Southern Baptist life, we have um, a month that we call Sanctity of Human Life Sunday Uh during that month. And we usually talk about, you know, Abortion and things sure. like that, uh, mm-hmm. but but uh, I was reading one year, and in 2005, I saw I didn't preach my sermon on that per se. Uh-huh. I I would I'd read some articles on the problem of worldwide human and sexual trafficking. Wow! And that that was a big sanctity of life issue that we needed uh-huh. to focus on, not yeah. to the exclusion of any others, but right. certainly this this needed the attention of God's people. Sure. And uh, that was kind of my first uh, awareness of that, I guess. Uh-huh. But uh, you know. Uh, I would I would just say that uh, you know the people in Crane when I was here for those 15 years you know they became a part of my life and they right. you know as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another and there were there were a lot of people who poured into me here and so I hope they realize I took a part of Crane with me to Kansas City <laughs> and uh, and they they really they appreciate my down home kind of country sense of humor and yeah. and my my sayings and idioms and <laughs> and uh, they really get a kick out well, of that well you were uh, loved
1: the whole time you were here well
0: thank you and and, say that. and i love the people here and i hope they know i i took a part of crane with me to kansas city and and uh i you know this was uh, this was home for a long time and yeah, i have lifelong friends here and love to come home and it's good that it's good that people want to see me and that, oh yeah that, that, I, that I can come home and I left on good terms and <laughs> there's just so many great people in Crane uh, you know not just in my church but right. but all through the community that yeah. that I came to love and appreciate
1: well and so one of the things that I didn't even know when I started asking you if you'd like to do an interview is you've had a lot of health issues yes you know and so I really want to hear about that
0: yeah that was kind of an unexpected chapter, for sure. Uh, okay. uh, boy, you're never ready. You know, it's funny. You know, I uh, I don't know how many funerals I've done, how many uh-huh. hospital visits I've made, and right. and I've said to myself, you know, I'm going to be there in that hospital bed someday. Sure. And, you know, I'm not I'm not naive. I know that. I you know, I'm uh-huh. going to be here. It's going to be my funeral someday. But uh-huh. I, but you know what? You're still never ready when it hits you. Sure. You still ask, well, where did this come from, and uh-huh. why did this happen? So. Um, uh, a couple years ago in fact it was uh, like late summer september of uh, 2017 uh, uh-huh. i um, i developed a urinary tract infection uh-huh. and it it spiked in 104 fever and one night getting up in the middle of the night i passed out fell on my face and i never go to the doctor i mean i don't <laughs> i mean i just i just tough it out yeah. But when I fell and I passed out, my wife said, I'm taking you to the ER, and I didn't argue, and, and <laughs> that was providential that I didn't because yeah. uh, they took me in to St. Luke's ER, and they did all the CAT scans head-to-toe, and they came in, and they said, uh, well, we see what caused your infection, Mr. Bowl. Uh You've got a urinary tract infection that went up into your kidneys and was about nearly septic, uh-huh. and uh, we'd like to keep you, but we'll release you if you promise to take this medicine. But by the way, did you know you have a tumor on your pancreas? Oh,
1: okay.
0: Okay. Well, that'll that'll grab you by the face, definitely. right? Yeah, that that gets your attention. That's that that, that is a, one of those things upon which life turns. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. So I was like, uh, "You said what?" And uh, <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, you've got a you've got a so many centimeter uh, tumor on your pancreas." And I knew that was the beginning of a new chapter for us. And, right. And uh, anyway kind of went through the food chain of doctors, you know how they have to refer you here and there. Oh, yeah. What I ultimately needed was a biopsy to determine what kind of cancer it was. Uh-huh. Because at, at that point, it could have even been benign.
1: Right.
0: And so from September of 17th until January 3rd of 2018, I didn't know what kind of cancer I had. Uh-huh. And you know what? Not knowing is worse than anything.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, yeah.
0: But that's what it took to kind of get through the food chain of doctors to get to the biopsy. Sure. And so... Um, my prayer life improved amazingly through that period of time. <laughs> well, what, uh, tell
1: me about that. You
0: know. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you really, you think you're ready to, to die, but I, I think it's good for us to come face to face with our mortality from time to time. Sure. Because that kind of helps you prioritize what's really important in life. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, what I found is my faith was real. Uh-huh. It, it did come to bear in that situation. Um, the Lord was with me and made himself known to me in ways that I never could have imagined. Right. And for that reason, I wouldn't trade having cancer for anything in the world because no. of all the things that I saw. And, um, and uh, so, you know, I came to a peace. And I, I, I think the verse that I kind of, uh, that I think the Lord gave me and, and stuck in my mind was um, to live as Christ and to uh-huh. die as gain. Really, and so basically, I said, "Okay, if I live, if I make it through this, uh-huh. you know, I'm going to live for Christ, and and I'll be a winner that way."
1: You've already done that.
0: All right. If <laughs> if 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 I die, you know what? Everybody has to die sometime. Exactly. And 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 to die is to be with Christ. So that's even better. Paul said. So either way, I was going to be a winner, and I knew that somehow, if 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 I left the scene, God could take care of me, my family. Sure. Uh, I knew where I was going, and so I, I really developed a supernatural peace. And I came up to the, uh, I came up to the uh, biopsy, and the doctor came in, and I was just by myself in this waiting room, and I could just see the look on his face. It was really down and downcast, and I, I feared the worst. And he said, "Yes, you you do have cancer, and we'll send it off to the lab." I mean, they, those guys know even before sure. the lab comes oh, back, yeah. they can tell the difference between benign and right. And but he didn't know exactly which kind, and so I I just figured okay well this is it I've got you know six, what is it with pancreatic about six months yeah. six months Not to very a year, much. and uh we'll we'll get ready we'll we'll do what we can and sure. I'd already done some things I'd written out some wills and so forth and mm-hmm. anyway so uh, uh, it came back and I had a slower more rare type oh, wow. of pancreatic cancer that was called neuroendocrine. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it was growing, and it had grown from when they first found it and measured it in September 17. Uh-huh. But it was slower growing, and it had given them time to operate. Okay. So the next God thing is uh, they assigned me a surgeon.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, they assigned me a guy named Lee Cummings. Okay. He teaches at UMKC. He does all of the the kidney and liver transplants and all of the pancreatic. Resections, uh-huh. which is what I would need, is cutting off a part of my pancreas with sure. the cancer. And I, every doctor would lean over to me uh, and say, "If we have surgery, we want him." Sure. So I knew I had and somehow the Lord had given me the best guy yes, in Kansas City. Yeah. And this guy was a believer, and he, you know, he, um, he just let me know that you know he was a man of faith too, and oh. uh, that that was comforting. I'm uh, sure it was. You know, he didn't wear it on his sleeve or anything, sure. but he just let me know. And he knew what I did, and he asked me a lot of questions about that and was interested uh-huh. in what I did and so forth. So anyway, had the surgery, was in the hospital five days, uh, went home, had to you know, give myself shots for about three months in the stomach. <laughs> I'm sure uh, that's fun. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> I love shots. Anyway, it was pretty major. They took off about 40% of my pancreas, uh-huh. and your spleen has to go because it's attached to the end, and so... So anyway, while they're watching that, and they're giving me good reports, and they're saying, yeah, we think we got it all, and we don't see anything more in your blood. Sure. But we're concerned about your prostate. Okay. All so right. I went through that. You know, they assign me to a urologist, and they do the biopsy, and sure enough, I've got I've got prostate cancer. Really? Unrelated to the pancreatic. Oh, wow. But it's just the way it happened to fall. But in a way, it was a blessing. Uh, Tell
1: this, me about that.
0: So... <laughs> so anyway you know you're like oh my goodness here we go again you know two cancers in two years sure um but um you know they did the biopsy and they said we believe you know based on the size and, and your PSA my PSA was 16 they wanted 4 or under uh-huh. uh we think you have it, and they well, they verified I did have it, but it was early stage. I said, okay i'm a 56 57 year old guy what do you What would you do if it was you or your right. son you know and the guy said, "Well, you can do radiation or you can do surgical removal at your age, I would recommend surgical removal, really yeah, because you can't operate later if you do if you sure. do radiation first, so it takes away an option later right. And uh, tends to be a little more aggressive and takes care of it better. So I did. And that's what I, I had surgery August 23rd of uh, 2019 and okay. pretty quick recovery. And uh, so far, all the numbers coming back, the PSAs have been non-detectable. So I'm assuming that... Um, you know that one's gone too. So Good. I I'm kind of hoping for a quiet 2020. <laughs> Although they did discover my cholesterol's out of whack and <laughs> and uh That's blood a pressure's a, a little thing. high, but uh, I think we can manage that one. Well, but but you know the, the thing just to back up a little bit is my wife had been a teacher before I developed the pancreatic uh-huh. and I could never get on her insurance. So as a self-employed minister, I always had to go out and purchase my insurance. Uh-huh. And it was just going out of sight. It was 164 sure. when I came in 2013, and it had worked its way up to 550 a month, wow. you know. By and and then Terry got this job with MFA Oil and Propane. Excellent, you know, benefits. I could get on her insurance. Really, really, really inexpensive and great, wow. great coverage, you know. And so, you know, we just look back, and that's just one one more thing God took care sure. of. Her that that we had this incredible policy in place that just didn't ask any questions or anything any concerns about pre-existing they just Good. they just pay it that's and we awesome. we pay our you know premium and they pay the hospital and and uh, so we've barely been out you know anything out of pocket well
1: today. and you know that's kind of one of those things how do you not develop something like a poor me mentality
0: well i mean everybody's got a choice and I, i've I never i've never been wired that way. yeah um, and uh, I'm kind of a fighter and competitive personality sure. and then my faith tells me not to do that. Uh, right. to to keep hope and to keep looking up and as I said I, I clung to that verse, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm yes. a win I'm a winner either way. Exactly. And um you know there wasn't anything i was facing that wasn't common to all people that somebody else hadn't faced so I, you know you can do the poor me and and uh, and get down but it doesn't doesn't help anybody it doesn't help a thing. and and honestly um you know it was interesting how uh, as i said you know you, you don't really know how well your faith works until it's tested and that's sure. and that's kind of what i saw was it it kicked in it was real it it helped it comforted me it i i i you know if you look for god he's there yeah you know uh and there were just so many little things along the way some funny stories you know Uh I remember uh tanya Oetzler, tanya uh-huh. edwards sure uh she um she called me after she heard i had uh pancreatic and she said greg just you know she had been through cancer herself and uh-huh. and uh had a lot of treatment and a lot of chemo and stuff. She said, God's gonna show up. He's gonna make himself known in some way. And I, mm-hmm. I kinda hurt her, but you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, yeah. Sure. But you know what? I had my blood work done the next day in preparation for my surgery. Uh-huh. My blood type was B positive. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that I no immediately worry. the Lord reminded me of what she said <laughs> and I thought, okay, there it is. Yeah. And then the, the other funny thing was uh, af- I was in the hospital second day, the day after the surgery in St. Luke's down on the plaza. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm up walking. I didn't know that was unusual. Yeah. And so I walked by this young nurse and she goes, don't I know you? Uh-huh. And I said, uh, no, I don't think so are you from this area and she goes no i'm from springfield i said well i, I used to pastor at crane and i went to springfield a lot she uh-huh. said that's it uh-huh. she said you were my grandparents pastor really bill and janet law it, oh, it was yeah. it was jill's daughter
1: oh wow and oh, cool uh, you that.
0: know aaron already lives in kansas city yes. and i stay in touch with aaron and uh, it, was, uh, it was Jill's daughter who had been a nurse at Springfield but transferred to Kansas City. And I uh-huh. thought, what are the odds? Oh, yeah. This was a you know eight-floor hospital, uh-huh. you know, gazillion people during right. flu season, full sure. up, <laughs> and I'm walking down the hallway on the sixth floor, and a young nurse says, don't I know you? Yeah. What are the odds of that? Exactly. So there's a God thing. Yeah, and then God. she says, she shocks me, she goes, uh, she says, uh, you know, you're all the talk of the doctors and nurses on this floor, and I said, "No, really." You know, really? <laughs> like what? I want to hear. Good, no. bad? You know, like what do you mean? And she goes, "No, it's all good." She said, "No one is ever up walking the day after this surgery." Really. She said, most people go to ICU, but they didn't have an ICU room, so they put you on a regular floor. <laughs> no one ever goes to a regular floor, right. and no one is ever up walking the day after this surgery, and right. you're up walking the halls briskly. Yeah. And she said, they're amazed. She said, most people are only setting up on the edge of the bed on the third day. Sure. And so I knew that God was healing me. I knew right. that he was taking care of me, and the surgeon had done a phenomenal job, and he'd given me the surgeon and uh and and that was just an affirmation that you know i wasn't just doing this alone right god was there and he he had his people in place you know uh and so whenever you realize that it makes makes things a lot easier
1: well and i'm not an expert but you look good
0: feel good you know yep
1: you are good
0: no life's good good (laughs) you know um love where i work um uh doing doing well enjoying the ministry i have and you know we serve about 140 churches, and I do uh, any number of things. The big thing I do is help churches that are declining or struggling. Uh, we have a revitalization ministry where I can How do go you in that? a lot of ways. I do a monthly meeting with pastors okay. to help them develop leadership skills to help a church turn around that's in decline. And um, and then we at the state level, Missouri Baptist Convention level, we formed regional teams, and we're forming a regional team for the Kansas City area where we will. Uh, we will go to a church and we'll say, "Here's a process of revitalization. If you'll vote to go through this process, we'll come back in, and we'll do an assessment. You know, we'll look at your history, interview your pastor, staff, members, uh, look at the numbers, the data uh, over the last several years. We'll look at your context, your community, you know, reasons why you're not growing, internal and external,
1: uh-huh.
0: and we will we will put together a prescription." for your church and then help you implement that.
1: Wow.
0: Okay, and they have to vote to go through the process. We don't want to do all that work and then they say, well, yeah, that's way too much stuff for us you know, no, and it'll be realistic to that church, obviously. So uh, we do that kind of thing. Um, You know, pastors are not immune to uh, mental health issues, depression. Uh, you know these guys are they're running 24-7 they're on call 24-7 and they're always
1: being asked for something they're
0: they're always giving 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 mm-hmm. they're tired that you know that they're the complaint department they get a lot of oh, yeah. unfair criticism if the church which 80 some percent of churches are declining they're the buck stops with them and sure they feel personally responsible so we're seeing a lot of we're seeing some depression and uh, anxiety among pastors oh. and so we we worked. This is another thing that Dr. Hammer and I were able to do that is really just, you know, uh, illustrates his his vision. We there's a Christian counseling service in Kansas City called Diakonos, okay. and uh, it's phenomenal. It's clinical, but it's biblical. You know, it's not just like we'll just read your Bible and say a prayer and sure. you'll be okay. It it understands mental illness. It understands sure. anxiety and the need the need anxiety for real. You know, it it understands the you know all the things that are going on all the dynamics of of mental illness and anxiety and depression and PTSD and all those kind of things. So we worked to deal with them where they pay half and we pay half uh of a pastor, staff member or their family's counseling time. The first the first session's free and then there's six sessions where the pastor or his family all they have to come up with is $22. Oh, wow. But BRKC Blue River Kansas City Association and Diaconos Counseling underwrite the rest of that, huh. and it's completely anonymous. They don't have to call me and say, "Greg, can I go get that?" Sure. They just they just go to Diakonos uh, anonymously and say, "I am a BRKC pastor." Or, you know, it, it can be sure. a, it can be an immediate family member. This is my son, and I'm a BRKC pastor. Right. And they immediately get that deal. They get one free session and six sessions of twenty two dollars. Wow. And we've had multiple pastors avail themselves of that they don't have to tell their church they don't have to claim something on their insurance that maybe the church secretary sees they can just go get help right and i believe it saves some marriages and i think it saves some some guys it's ministry some lives, it, it's a lifesaver mm-hmm. and um, so we really feel good about that yeah yeah we, we love that ministry
1: well and so what do your former parishioners need to pray for now what do they do to pray for Over you? Crane? First yeah. Baptist? Just, I, yeah. Hey, you
0: know, they just called a really incredible guy as their pastor, Jim okay. Cross. I knew Jim Cross years ago when he was on staff at Forsyth First. He's a really competent, high-capacity guy. He's been an international missionary for several years in Indonesia and other places. Mm -hmm. Uh, They really did well, and so I'm excited. Just pray for their pastor, follow Mm -hmm. his leadership. Sure. Uh, Just pray for Terry and I that we continue to minister to God's people. You know, people at Crane have stayed in touch with me. In fact, in our Home for Miners, a big number of them helped us with our, we had a buy a brick campaign that funded the Home for Miners. Really? And there were probably 40 people at Crane First Baptist that bought (laughs) bricks. And multiple bricks. And so uh, sure. if they ever want a tour, if they want to come up and see the home for minors, we'll give them a tour. They can see their brick in the sidewalk. It just turned out phenomenal. It's just a beautiful home for these these uh, minor trafficking victims. That's awesome. So now I just keep praying for Terry and I to, to be faithful to the mission and them keep pursuing it too. Uh, That's there's pretty, work to be done here.
1: websites or anything that you need to? Talk
0: about or well, you know, if they want to know more about Restoration House of Greater Kansas City, that is the name of the anti trafficking ministry. So, okay. if they just want to Google uh, Restoration House of Greater Kansas City, okay. it will pop right up. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeffrey Arbuckle is our president, uh, Dr. Hammer is chairman of the board, I'm vice chairman. If they want to, you know, they want to contact me, sure, uh, they can contact me. Um, blue river kansas city baptist association there are multiple mission opportunities i have i have probably 20 churches from around the united states call me every spring and say hey we want to bring a mission team to kansas city do you have a place we could serve and a place we could stay you know, so I have places where, you know, if any of the churches around here want to minister in the Kansas City area, maybe down in sure. that International Welcome Center, mm-hmm. uh, any number of places, do some fix-up work out at the home for um, uh, the the anti-trafficking home. Sure. We have a lot of kind of ready-made projects for them for that. So just get in touch with me. Um, Sounds good. So I'd love to love to hear from them. And yeah, definitely. Anyway.
1: Well, and you know, I just. That's been wonderful. I've enjoyed talking yeah, to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for the opportunity. You no, know, it's been wonderful. Yeah, it's
0: yeah. been fun. Thank you. Definitely. Look forward to seeing how terrible I sound on video. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good recorder, anyway. Okay, so okay. Are. Thank you. Yeah, let's Thank you, turn Dale. it off
1: here.